and uh, it's good to see each and every one of you. Let's take our Bibles. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to begin. And uh, we started last week a brand new series, and of course, we're, it's a topical series, so we're going to be kind of all over uh, looking at a lot of different scripture today. I'll have most of it for you uh, here on the screens, but definitely go to Hebrews chapter 11 as we begin this morning. As we started this new series, and we're calling it Evidence, A Difference-Making Faith. And really the purpose of this series is, and the theme of it is that uh, here in Hebrews 11, we see this definition of faith, and then from that definition, we then are able to pull our theme for these verses. So I want to read it together with you in Hebrews chapter 11, verse number one. It's a familiar verse. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, as we began last week, we were introduced to two unique themes here that are used to describe the subject of faith. Notice the words there, substance and evidence, substance and evidence. So faith, what we understood, and we talked about this last week, I'm just going to kind of review, get us all back on the same page. Faith is the substance, it is the foundation, it is the support of our faith. And just like a foundation is necessary and important to a home, our secure faith in Christ is the basic element that we build our lives upon. The faith that we have in our God is what we build our life and our relationships upon. However, our faith goes much further than a foundation. It goes much further than us just saying, yeah, I, I have faith, I'm saved, I know that I'm saved, and this is what I've built my life on. It goes beyond that, and we see that here in the verse, where it moves beyond that to show that our faith is also the evidence, it is the proof, it is uh, uh, the word meanings, it means uh, by the thing by which something is defined or proved or tested, so he says that our faith is the evidence, it is the proof of the unseen. It is the proof of the unseen. Well, as a Christian, what to us is unseen? Think about that for a moment. When we say, as believers, you know, we believe in the unseen, well, what are those things? Well, of course, God, right? (laughs) Number one, he is unseen, but we have faith. We believe in God. We have hope and we have a belief in eternal life that is to come. We have a hope of, of, um, of heaven, of course. And so because of our faith, We have this belief and this strength in what is unseen, and what he's saying is that your faith, the way that you live out your faith, is actually evident to the world around us of what is not seen. So here's what's so cool about it. In essence, what he is saying is that the life of faith, so as we live out our faith, we then become the living, breathing evidence of the fact that God exists. And the fact that he loves us, and he loves this world, and he gave himself for this world. So think about that just for a moment about your own life. You are the evidence of God in this world. And when you think of it in that way, that's huge, isn't it? That's huge. Uh, Because, you know, we live in such a world where we're like, hey, nobody, define me, you know, uh, don't try to connect me to anything. But God is saying, no, as my child, you are a direct connection in this world to others by the fact that I exist. And that's huge. And so faith, we see, becomes the evidence for God. But sadly, evidence in the life of the believer is sometimes hard to find, isn't it? Think about your own life for a moment. I think you would agree with me, and I'm just speaking from personal experience, that there's times in my life that I'm not exactly evidence of God working. There's times where I myself do not live it out. And the reason is, is because the evidence of our faith is directly connected to the priority of our faith. The fact and the way that it reveals itself is connected to how much we prioritize our faith. So the question I have for us this morning very quickly is, is your faith a priority or is it an afterthought? 
Is your faith, is your walk with God a priority or is it an afterthought? I think we all understand what it's like to be an afterthought in somebody else's life. Hopefully, husbands and wives, that's not uh, your experience, but sometimes it is. But we all wouldn't know what it's like to have maybe uh, an employer that we thought really liked us, and it turns out they didn't really like us that much. You know, we we figured out we're just sort of an afterthought to them. Uh, Maybe a teacher or, or a parent that you felt very close to and that you thought that they really cared about you, but their actions eventually showed that you weren't as important as you thought. I read, a, I read a story this week about an evangelist uh, who you would probably know if I named him, but he was, uh, he was famous uh, probably a couple decades ago and was kind of a big deal. Um, I don't agree with all of his theology, certainly I don't, but uh, he was kind of a big deal on TV and all that, one of the first big-time televangelists. But the story is, is that uh, he was really, really busy and, and obviously had lots going on. He had written some books and he had written, uh, uh, or he had a book, and so he was doing a little bit, a little bit of a book tour, and, and he had four days where he was in eight different cities doing book signings. I mean, that's really busy. You think you're busy. That's super busy. As well, obviously, he's pastoring this church and preparing for the weeks to come. And as he sat with his secretary in the morning to kind of go over the week and, okay, you're going to be this city, you're going to be this city, you're going to be traveling all over, the secretary reminded him that there had been a charity auction where the winner of the raffle or the winner of the auction uh, had paid $500 to have lunch with him. I thought that'd be a pretty good idea, right? You think? Who will start at $5? No, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> to, have, to have lunch with the pastor. That's crazy to me, right? They had this, this raffle, you know, and people were paying money to try to have it. Well, as he looked and she said, hey, the winner came in and this person bid $500 to have lunch with you. And the story is, is that as he looked at that name, He was sobered because he realized that the person that had given the $500 or paid the $500 to have lunch with him, he knew this person and he knew that it represented their entire life's savings. And so he was humbled by that and he was sobered by that. But even more sobering was the fact that the winner was his own daughter. His own teenage daughter emptied her savings account just to have lunch with her dad. Now that makes me upset. just to read that story. But the fact alone that his daughter had to pay to have lunch with her own father speaks of the priority that this guy's family had in his life. And if you know anything about his story further on, I did a little research this week, you discover that yes, his daughter and his son, it's just a myriad of broken relationships and they don't have a a, a connected family. The reason I share that with you is because I want to ask that question again, what does your life or your decisions reveal about your priorities? Does your life reveal that your faith is a priority or is your walk with God just an afterthought? It's just something I do when I have time. I've asked this question before, church family, but does God get the leftovers of your life? Does God get the leftovers of your life? So often we give our first and our best to the things that we care about, but our faith gets the leftovers. And we often wonder then why we feel disconnected. We wonder why we struggle with faithfulness. We wonder why we struggle being even faithful to our personal devotions or time with our church. It's because our priorities are not where they need to be. See, the evidence of our faith is connected to the priority of our faith. I wonder if you remember what Paul said to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 through 2. He says, if ye be then risen with Christ, seek those things which are above Seek the things that are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. 
See, God's perfect plan for his children, those redeemed by his grace, is that we would seek him above all else, that we would seek him in such a way that we would then become the living, breathing evidence of, of, of living, breathing evidence who point others to him for his glory. But the question is then, you say, okay, pastor, I get it. I see what you're trying to say. We talked about this last week. We're talking about it today. Here's why I'm bringing this up, and this is why this is so important. Because for the person that realizes that maybe my faith isn't as much of a priority as it should be, I'm not putting as much emphasis in it as I should, the question, of course, comes, how do we go about putting God first? What does it look like to make our faith a priority? What are the marks of a person whose faith is a priority? And so that's what we're going to be talking about these next several weeks. And I want to propose to you this morning that for a person who is sincere in their aspirations to be evidence of God in this world, one of the marks that you're going to recognize in your own life is that there is going to be a deep, sincere, compelling desire to grow in your faith. A desire to grow in your faith. The evidence of our faith tonight, uh, this morning's subject is this, is that there is a desire to grow. You want to grow spiritually. That is the way that your faith can be made evident. Now, we know that when we come to faith in Christ, Scripture teaches us there is one direction that our lives should be going, right? It should be going forward. We should be growing. We should be developing. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, he says, speaking the truth in love, that you may grow up into him, that's Christ, in all things, which is the head, even Christ. First Peter 2, verse 2, says, as newborn babes desire, that means crave, as a baby craves to eat. Now, we have tons of babies in this church, they're not in the room right now. A few of them are in this room. But you know what it's like if you have met. Jeanette and I have had our share of babies. And uh, when you have one, they are hungry, aren't they? And it's nonstop cravings all the time. And that's the idea. He says, as believers, we are to crave the word. We are to crave the sincere milk of the word. Why? So that we can grow by it. So God's desire for you and God's desire for me is that we are growing, that we are headed in a direction. So the question is, how can we continue to grow? How can we move from the infant stage to the mature stage? Uh, if you've been saved for a while, how do you move out of a place of stagnation, a place of apathy, a place where you're like, you know what, I've lived this Christian life and I feel like I've got it all figured out. How do you move to that next stage? Because it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. It does not matter uh, if you're new or you've been around for a long time. We are all to be moving forward all to be growing in our faith. So what does that look like? If evidence of our faith is that we are growing, what should be the focus of our growth? Well, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 3 this morning. 2 Peter chapter 3, and we're going to look at this verse together, a couple of verses here together that will set the, just sort of the theme for the message today. So 2 Peter chapter 3, where Peter makes it very clear what our focus of growth should be as a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm going to begin reading in verse number 17, uh, because it, really it begins with a bit of a warning. He says, "Ye therefore, beloved, so he's speaking to Christians, he says, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Now, this is a warning here. He says, listen, just be aware that you're not pursuing after the wicked or those that are away from Christ. Don't, don't be following after them. Uh, be careful because it can lead you away where you'll fall from being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of God, as we know Scripture teaches us. So he says, be aware. But then verse number 18, he says, but grow in, say that word with me, grace. Grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. So here we have this one command from God, 
And from this command, we understand and see exactly what our focus to be when it comes to spiritual growth and maturity in the faith. So point number one is very simply grow in grace. Grow in grace. What does it mean? If we're to be growing, we're to be growing in grace, what does it mean to grow in grace? I think it helps us define it if we just understand here what grace is not. Let's talk about that first, right? Sometimes it's good to understand what something is if you understand what it is not. So here's what grace is not. Since the time of the Apostle Paul, there have been people that have abused the privilege of grace. They've abused this incredible gift that God has given to us, and they have um, misunderstood and abused this concept of grace. They have used grace as sort of a get-out-of-jail-free card in the spiritual life. Uh, And the idea behind that is that, oh, well, you know, because of God's grace, I can therefore live and be however I want, and it's all under grace, and everything I do is under grace, and so therefore, it really doesn't matter uh, what I do. It doesn't matter how I live my life. And it was a problem in the early church, and it's a problem today where people say, let me just live. I'm experiencing the grace of God in all of these different ways. Uh, Or they say, you know, to you maybe, hey, you can't tell me what to do. You need to extend grace to me. Have you ever had somebody say that to you? I've had that before, you know, and uh, I'm trying to encourage them in their walk with God, and they're like, oh, 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 I'm under grace, don't, bot, don't even, don't say anything at all, uh, which, of course, that violates the fact that we are called to encourage and to challenge each other in the faith. But Paul got it very specifically in Romans chapter 6, verse 1, where he says, what shall we say then? I love this. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Now, think about that for a moment. He says, uh, should we just keep on sinning so that more grace would abound? And so that's what was happening. People were intentionally sinning, though they knew it was wrong. They were doing these wrong things so that they could say, God's grace is enough. He's forgiven me and this grace is here. Now, that's, to me, that's absolutely crazy. And we may not go as far as the church, uh, that church did. However, we still do live this way so often. We give ourselves a lot of license and and freedom in this. We try to make grace this idea. So he says here in verse number two, shall we continue in sin that grace abound? And then he says this very simply, God forbid. No, absolutely not. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? He says, know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. He's painting a picture here. He says, listen, the Christian life, we have grace and we are saved by grace and we're thankful for that, but we are to live differently. There's a newness, there's a change that happens in all of us when Christ becomes our Lord and Savior. In Galatians chapter five, verse 13, he says, brethren, again, speaking to Christians, you have been called unto liberty, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. See, Christian liberty and God's grace are not a license to sin. And when we begin to understand who God truly is and when we begin to grow in that, when we see that grace expressed does not mean that I'm able to just do all of these things that make me look like the world and act like the world and, 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 and intentionally even go into sin that grace may abound. No, what it means to grow in grace and to be developing in grace, it means that as we develop and as we become more like Christ, we get further and further away from sin further and further away from sin. I mean, and that bears the question for you as a believer today. Are you closer or further away from a life of pursuing the things of this world than you were two years ago or a year ago? You know, sometimes in the Christian life, we, we just live in this like rotating pattern 
And you might have been saved 10 years, but you grew those first two years and then you lived two more years and you sort of repeated that pattern over and over and over again. There's to be a steady climb, a steady climb of growth and development. So sin, uh, grace, sorry, is not this ideology that we can just do whatever. And by the way, I just want to make clear, yes, if you sin, God's grace is sufficient for you. You can confess your sin and he's faithful and just to forgive your sin. We know that, yes. That is a clear biblical principle. But we are not to abuse that and use it for our own good. I say good. Use it for our flesh, okay? So that's what grace is not. So what is grace? Well, grace defined is the word charis, which means unmerited or undeserved favor, meaning we do not deserve. All of you husbands... Look at your wives right now and say, thank you for grace. Because it is, un- Come, I didn't hear anybody say that, thank you. I, we don't deserve you. I just want to say that right now. We don't deserve you. That's grace. The fact that you're sitting next to, uh, <laughs> sitting next to somebody who you love and has committed their life to you uh, and you're going to commit to them, that's grace. That's amazing. Okay. That's what it is. It's unmerited favor. And, and growing up, listen, I grew up in church and I'm thankful for that, but I definitely believe, and I, I know that you believe that grace, we often define it as being connected specifically to our salvation, right? We sing amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And grace is definitely, certainly connected to our salvation. As a kid, I learned that acronym for grace, right? God's riches at Christ's expense. Do you remember that? Maybe? Okay, maybe me. That's a, you can write it down right now. God's riches at Christ's expense. It's kind of an acronym for what grace is. And God's richness, and he's poured this out on us at the expense of Christ who died on the cross for our sins. Of course, that's a great little gospel way of remembering what grace is. And that is all well and good, and those are true. However, I want you to understand this, okay? So if you don't get anything else about grace, get this today. Grace is not a static reality limited to that first time we confess Christ. It is not static in the sense that it's only limited to our redemption in that moment of salvation. Grace is a dynamic event. It is a dynamic infusion of God's help that gives us and allows us to live the gospel-centered life from the beginning, from the moment of salvation until we meet Jesus in heaven. So grace is not static, it is dynamic, it is something that is continually building in us. And so when we say that we need to grow in grace, when Peter says, I want you to grow in grace, it means that you and I are consistently developing the characteristics of the one who gave us grace. To put it really simply, to grow in grace is to become more like Christ. If you want to simplify it. If we are growing in that grace, it means that we are becoming more like Jesus Christ. Grace does not end at salvation. We are growing and we are developing. Now, uh, we're in first, uh, Second Peter. I want you to go to Second Peter chapter 1. It's interesting how Peter really bookended the book of, uh, the book of first, uh, Second Peter, bookended it with this idea of grace and knowledge and growing. And so we're going to look at this real quickly. But in verse uh, number 2 of Second Peter chapter, uh, chapter 1 there, he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. That means be developed and growing and building, and there's a a multiplication. That's what it means. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Verse 3 tells us how it's possible according as his divine power. So it's it's a divine thing by God. It's the spirit working within us. And according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him 
that have called us from glory and virtue. This is so great. See, grace flows from God. We're saved, we receive his grace, and the more that we experience the grace of God personally, the more we become like him in our character. And the more that we become like him in our character, the more of his grace we enjoy, the more grace flows out of our lives and flows into the lives of others, and it's his grace that then allows us to be, and really his grace should be the center point of the the Christian life, the Christian life that is growing, because it's something that gives spiritual nourishment to our souls. I kind of came up with a different acrostic for the word grace that would maybe help us understand it a little bit better, but it's God's resources applied to the Christian experience. Now, I know you kids are like, that's gratitude, right? We will skip over the two, though, okay? You get, I think you make sense. God's resources applied to the Christian experience. So when we say, and Peter says, I want you to grow in grace, what he's saying is that we're growing in our understanding and our knowledge of the characteristics of the one who perfectly illustrated grace for us, and that grace that he has given us is enough to help us live the Christian life. You say, well, what are those characteristics that we should be growing in? Well, you don't have to look very far. Again, in 2 Peter chapter 1, just down to verse number 5, he says, beside this giving all diligence, so beside this multiplication of grace, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to uh, patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. Uh, later on in Galatians chapter uh, 5, verse 22 and 23, Paul also describes characteristics of grace when he says that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. These things that have all been described here, the fruit of the Spirit, this, this of, out, of, uh, overflow of grace that, that Peter's talking about are divine attributes that can flow out of the person that is living and growing in grace. And when we make these attributes the high priority of our lives, our faith and our lives will then begin to be the evidence that God wants us to be. You say, man, pastor, that's a lot. It is a lot. I hope you wrote down some of those references and I want you to go back and study them this week. Study Second uh, Peter chapter one. That can really help you to understand this idea of how grace flows out of us and the characteristics. But the point is, is that we are to be pursuing these things. We're to be pursuing these things. Oswald Chambers said this. He said, God's grace turns out men and women with a strong family likeness to Jesus Christ, not milksops. Okay, now that word is a weird word, milksop. Uh, That's not one I would recommend you using at the office this week. Uh, But a milksop is somebody, obviously it's a different time, different age, uh, this word that he used here, but it means indecisive or lacks courage. I thought that was, that was pretty clarifying then in his statement. He says, the person that is living in grace will have a strong likeness to Christ and they'll be decisive in their forward momentum. They'll be moving forward, they'll be growing, they'll be continuing in the path. And so as we focus our priorities on spiritual growth, as we grow in grace, we become more and more like our heavenly father. And what that looks like is that there's a lot less anger There's a lot less revenge. There's a lot less bitterness, apathy, discontentment. There's a lot less lust, jealousy, or impatience in our life because we're growing in grace and we're replacing those elements of the flesh and we're replacing them with elements of grace. These are the tests of whether or not we are truly growing in grace. So I gotta ask you, what's more prevalent in your life? 
What's more prevalent in your life? Attributes of grace? What characteristics define your attitude at work? Are they characteristics of grace or characteristics of the flesh? What is your attitude when it comes to your family, with your wife, with your children? Are you, do you find it easier to give grace to strangers than it is to your own family? A person that is growing in grace is seeing these characteristics grow and develop in them. And God wants us to be moving in a direction. So if you say, man, pastor, I don't know. I know God wants me to grow. Where do I go? Listen, grow in grace. Grow in the characteristics of grace. So Peter says here in our our key verse, in verse 18 of 2 Peter 3, he says, grow in grace. But secondly, he says to just grow in knowledge. Grow in knowledge. And not just any knowledge. You see that? Not just any knowledge. He says that we are to grow in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I again, refer you back to 2 Peter chapter 1 in the same book there, chapter 1, where he says, grace and peace be multiplied unto you. How is it multiplied? Through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. So we are to be growing, yes, in grace and growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So here's what he's saying to us. As you as an individual determine to grow in your knowledge of Jesus, it allows you to understand more about who he is, how his grace can flow from our lives to impact those around us. But the issue is this when it comes to knowledge. It's actually far easier to grow in knowledge than it is to grow in grace. Did you know that? It's far easier to grow in knowledge than it is to grow in grace. Most Christians know more about the Bible than they live of the Bible. I got both hands up on that one. It's true. We often know more of the Bible than we live of the Bible. And so this is why these two are connected here, because they are not independent of each other. They're actually actually dependent upon each other. One author put it this way. He says, knowledge without grace is a terrible weapon, and grace without knowledge can be very shallow. But when we combine grace and knowledge, we have a marvelous tool for building our lives and for building the church. I mean, how many times have you found yourself in a situation where you know know what the right thing is to do? Right? You ever been in that situation? I have all the time. And I'm sitting here and I'm facing a decision, I'm facing something, and I'm like, I know what the right thing is to do, and then I do the wrong thing. Okay, I'm the only one, I see, okay. So what is that? That's the perfect expression of knowledge (laughs) without grace. You have the knowledge, but you don't have the characteristic of Christ to put that knowledge into practice. We see it all the time. You know, the kids are here, and we see that all the time, certainly in our home, where they know, they know what is right, they know what they should do, and yet, for some reason, they don't apply that. So the point is, is that the more we grow in our knowledge of the word, the more we grow in our knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the better we know him, the more we grow in grace, then we're able to put those two together so beautifully and live it out in the Christian life. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said to the church there that had a lot of different problems, but he said to them, he said, listen, brethren, I don't want you to be children in your understanding. So he's saying, I don't want you to be immature in your understanding. That's the same as the knowledge that we just talked about. I don't want you to be like children, um, he said, then he has this kind of interesting phrase. He says, how be it in malice, be ye children. That means in intent to do evil, 
He says, so like children don't typically, <laughs> typically they don't have an intent to do evil. That's not what guides their life. So he says, as children, you should not live in that way. That way where you're always in, or as, as adults, you should live like a child when it comes to intention to do evil. But he says, in your understanding, don't be a child. Then he says this, but in understanding, be ye men. That's the idea of maturity. So he's saying that in our knowledge specifically, there should be a desire in each of us to be growing and to be mature in our knowledge of God. So how do we do that? Well, I think it's very simple. Uh, we read the Bible. How, how simple is that? We read scripture. We study scripture. We, uh, we dive into it. We're faithful to it. I would encourage you, if you're not reading the Bible every day, please do so. Please do so. It'll help you so much. Uh, Grace and I had a great back and forth this week. She was texting me questions about her Bible study. And then, uh, and then we talked a little bit about this one thing. And then today she came in the coffee room and she says, Pastor, it's been so great. I, I dug into that and she's just been learning so much out of that. That's, that's fantastic. That's a great testimony. That should be the case in all believers where we're able to read the scripture and we're able to study it and dig into it. And we do that, of course, by reading the word, by studying it, being faithful. Of course, church is, is definitely important. Coming to Sunday, uh, coming to our midweek services, that's why we have it. We don't have midweek just for fun. Uh, we have it, I mean, it is fun, but we have it to grow and to study the word and to encourage each other and, and build each other up. And so we wanna be faithful to those things. Uh, we can read, uh, there's so much online, there's such a wealth of, of, of help that is out there. And, uh, and so we need to saturate ourselves in the word of God that's how we can be growing in our knowledge of God. I mean, there's not a single one of us that hears something for the first time and remembers it forever. I wish I had that kind of memory, but we don't. We need to constantly be hearing it. There's a, a process to it. We must be saturating it. Learn to study the word of God. Place an importance on his word. Hebrews chapter two, verse one says, therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. That's the idea that we should be focused and earnestly pursuing and holding on to, holding on to the things that we have heard from scripture and what we've grown in because we don't want them to slip away. To grow in the knowledge of Christ means to be growing in the knowledge of the book that tells us everything that we need to know. And as we do that, we understand him more, we have a greater knowledge of him, and as our, there's a greater knowledge of him and of his characteristics, then that grace is able to flow in us as well. Do you see how they're interconnected there? See how important that is? We must be growing in grace and in knowledge. So as I close this morning, I wanna take uh, just a couple of thoughts here, and, and I want to give you some practical thoughts for growth, though. Just overall, the idea of growing in your faith. Just some really practical thoughts, and maybe you'll write these down or uh, take a screenshot or something of the screens or watch back the live stream later on. They're very, very simple, but I think they can help us when it comes to this idea of growing in our faith, okay? So the first one is this, very simply. Growth comes from the inside out. True growth comes from the inside out. See, when we are saved, we receive everything that we need to grow and to serve. All that we need is spiritual food and spiritual exercise, okay? We need this to develop. And so my point is, is that we should not make only church events as our singular source for spiritual growth. As much as I love being your pastor and I love preaching the word and teaching the word to you, I should not be the singular source of your spiritual growth. As cool as it makes me feel to think that all of your spiritual growth is dependent upon me, that is the terrible theology, okay? Terrible. 
But unfortunately, a lot of Christians live that way. They go to church on Sunday morning. They dust off their Bible, right? And they head to church for their Sunday inspiration. But you're not going to grow like that. Yes, you will learn things. Yes, you will develop. But unless you, like the Bereans, take what you have heard and gone home, go home and study it for yourself and prove it to yourself and prove from Scripture, you're not truly going to, you're not going to be growing. And so my point is that it grows from the inside. The most growth that you're ever going to experience in your Christian life is going to happen you alone with the Bible. You alone with the Bible. You say, man, but I got this guy I watch on YouTube. He helps me understand the Bible so much. Great. Great. Okay. I listen to this podcast and I learn so much about it. Great. That's great. But if you ever want to know what it's like to take your spiritual growth to the next level, it's you on your knees praying with the Bible and writing out notes and studying the word of God yourself. Man, you learn so much. That's why Timothy uh, tells us to study to show thyself approved unto God. Be a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That applies to those in in ministry leadership, but also to us individually. That's a great Bible principle that we should be studying the word of God. Study the word of God. Another way and another practical thought for growth is that we grow best in a loving family. You know, there's so many studies that show that for children to truly flourish and to live healthy lives, they need a loving, healthy environment. And the same thing goes for a believer. A loving church family is a necessity and it is an important nurturer of growth in the life of the believer. You know, just as children who are not looked after really struggle and struggle in their development, the believer that will never commit or surrender themselves to be a part of a church family will also struggle in their growth. The best way to grow in your faith is to walk with the faithful. And God's plan for that is within the local church body. And so I would encourage you today to spend time with people that walk in faith. And don't just avoid people, don't just avoid uh, people of faith, but be yourself and get connected in. I I mean, obviously, I think City Baptist is a pretty awesome place. I love this church, I love our church family, and I think it's a great place to grow, and many of you are growing in your faith together, but that's the point. God gave us a local church for that express purpose. And so we should submit ourselves to the authority of a local church. We should put ourselves in a place where we are uh, held accountable in our walk with God, where there's people that are encouraging us, that are helping us. And so growth best happens in the context of a loving family. But then thirdly, I want to encourage you that when you grow is that you must grow in a balanced way. Grow in a balanced way. See, through the Holy Spirit, we can live and grow in a very balanced way. Think about Peter for a moment before he had the Holy Spirit. Think about that for a moment. Remember Peter? Before he had the Holy Spirit of God, that guy was as inconsistent as I think you could ever be, right? One moment he is, uh, what? He's bearing witness of Christ, and the next minute he's arguing with him to his face, (laughs) Uh, one minute he is, uh, uh, you know, he's, he's preaching the gospel. The next minute he's, uh, he's, uh, you know, he's denying him. He's denying him uh, at that point. I mean, it's so inconsistent up and down. But those of us who have the Holy Spirit of God, and we have the Holy Spirit of God, we can rely on him to help us grow in a balanced way. Here's what I mean by that. I mean, we must learn to grow and be balanced And there's a balance between worship and service, between faith and works. There's always this sort of balance happening, even a balance in the area of study and growth. A balanced diet of the word of God is very important. Like, listen, there's a lot of really cool stuff in scripture, isn't there? Right? You could spend your whole life studying prophecy if you wanted to. And man, that would be fun. 
And everyone would want to come to you and be like, hey, what do you, you, know, what do you think about this? And, and you, you could study prophecy your whole life. You could study apologetic themes. You could, you could study uh, you know, creation. You could study uh, the Old Testament or, or have very specific tastes. And, and sometimes it's, you do that for a season maybe. However, we must be like Paul when he spoke to the Ephesian elders and he talked about how he had preached all of the counsel of God. There was a balance to his growth. And so sometimes when we decide to grow, we get very narrow focused and we kind of get in one area. Again, these are just really practical thoughts here. So make sure that you're growing in a balanced way. Look at your life. Write out the areas of your life that you're struggling in. Write out where you need to grow and develop and then be balanced in your approach. Here's what it really all comes down to this morning is that God's heart is that we would grow. So my question is, is how are you doing at growing spiritually? How are you doing? Are you growing in grace? Are you growing in the characteristics of Christ? Are you seeing a progressive development? Or do you feel like you've just been at the same spot for two or three years? What it boils down to is that received grace requires growth. You have received the grace of God for salvation. We have received the unmerited favor of God. We have received so much from him. And so because we've accepted that grace and we know that we are saved, it demands that we then grow. You know, the commands that we see here in scripture are not for those who do not know Christ. They are those, for those of us who do know Christ. And specifically, it is for believers like you and I. And so if our faith is to be the evidence of an almighty God and what he has done and the fact that he is real and we are to be evidence to this lost world around us, then we must have within us a desire to grow and to develop our faith and walk with God. So my question for us this morning is, will you commit to growing spiritually? That's all it is. Very simple. Very, very simple today. Some of you have just been a Christian for a few, a few weeks or a few months. Some of you have been saved maybe since you were a kid. Some of you, maybe just for a few years. It does not matter. We all should be moving forward. So what steps are you taking to grow in grace? What steps are you taking to grow in knowledge? You're like, hey, pastor, I'm here at church today. That's a step. Great. That's a great step. But it's not the last step. It's the first step. Involve yourself in the body of believers. Uh, hear the word of God. Saturate your life in it. Begin to study and grow. Maybe you've never even considered this idea. Maybe all you have is head knowledge. Some of you maybe have a lot of head knowledge, but you really struggle with applying the word of God. You know a lot about it. And you can argue and you can discuss all kinds of passages, but when it comes to the very basic elements of just living out your faith, you struggle tremendously with that. It may be that there needs to be a growing of grace in your life to pair up with that knowledge. So my, my goal for us today is just very simply that Today would be one of those pillar moments in our life that we can look at and say, that's when I decided I'm going to grow in my faith. I'm going to grow my faith. We all should have moments like that in our life where we said, this is when I made a decision. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to grow for the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really believe this. If you would make that your heart's cry, if you would make that the pursuit of your life, if you pursue Christ in obedience in this way, your life will begin to show evidence of the newness. Your life will show evidence of the fact that God is real, that he loves you, that he loves our community, and we can then begin to make a great difference for him. The evidence of a believer, the evidence of a person of faith is that you have a desire to grow. So how is your desire today? Are you growing? Are you growing? Mm -hmm.